And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Welcome to this edition of the Street Fishing Podcast. This program is dedicated to going out to the highways and hedges and compelling people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Join your host, Tony Miano, and his team of street fishermen as they find people on the streets with whom to share the gospel. No scripts, no planning, no preparation. Just impromptu gospel conversations with random people out there in a world in desperate need of the Savior. So, until the nets are full, let's go fishing. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it might be, wherever you may find yourself. Welcome to another edition of the Street Fishing Podcast. I am your host. Tony Miano. It's been a few weeks since we've been together. Uh, fishing has been a little tough out there on the streets. My street fishermen uh, have been out there. Uh, they've been throwing lines in the water. They've been baiting the hooks, uh, but they just haven't been catching anything. And that's why they call it fishing and not catching after all. Um, but you know, it's uh, winter is fast approaching. Uh, certainly here in the Midwest, the weather is changing. It's getting colder. There aren't as many people out on the streets, and so it's been a little harder for my fishermen to find people. And so I'm looking for more fishermen, not to replace the ones I have. No one's being fired from the jobs that uh, pay them nothing, <laughs> at least in a monetary sense. Uh, but I am looking for more people to join the team that already exists. Uh, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if your heart is burdened for the lost and you are already actively engaged in some form of public evangelism, and of course you are a member of a biblical church, and you would like to join the team, I'd love to talk to you about that. Email me at streetfishingpodcast at gmail.com, streetfishingpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, what would you have to do? Well, you'd have to have a cell phone, <laughs> one that works. And you'd have to be willing to go out onto the streets and find people to put on the phone so that I could talk to them and uh, hopefully share the gospel with them. There really isn't a whole lot to it, um, but the important thing uh, happens after my conversation with them, and that is when you would engage in follow-up with the person I talked to. Uh, put gospel literature into their hands, uh, invite them to your church, continue the conversation, answer any questions they might have share the gospel with them again. Uh, street fishing is a lot more than simply finding people to put on the phone so that I could talk to them. Uh, these are uh, evangelism opportunities for my street fishermen as well. So if uh, being part of the team uh, piques your curiosity, if you'd like to talk more about it, email me at streetfishingpodcast at gmail.com, streetfishingpodcast at gmail.com, or email me for any other reason. Love to hear what you think about the uh, podcast, uh, what you like, what you don't like, uh, what you learned during my conversations and in the uh, following uh, chalk talks after each conversation, uh, things you would do differently, suggestions you might have. I want to hear it all, good, bad, or ugly. Uh, well, maybe not so much the ugly. But yeah, I'll read those emails too. And if I do read your email on an upcoming episode of the Street Fishing Podcast, uh, then I will send you a free copy of my first book uh, that I wrote some 15 years ago, Take Up the Shield, which is a devotional study of Ephesians chapter 6, 
uh, specifically the armor of God, where I compare uh, the various pieces of law enforcement equipment I wore as a deputy sheriff to the various pieces of military, or spiritual rather, spiritual armament uh, that we see there in uh, Ephesians chapter 6. So uh, email me with your questions, your suggestions, your encouragement, your correction, whatever it might be, at uh, streetfishingpodcast at gmail.com, streetfishingpodcast at gmail.com. All right. Uh, Because the fishing has been slow of late, I'm dipping into the archives for today's episode. Today you're going to hear what was for me a very special conversation that took place in the summer of 2015, and not here in the United States, but in a suburb of uh, London, an area called Barking, England. Barking, yes, like a dog. Barking, England. Uh, I was in England with... uh, my dear friend Bobby McCreary and uh, and a few other street evangelists, and we teamed up with some local evangelists there in England. Uh, we spent, uh, I don't know, a week, two weeks, maybe more, uh, there in London communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ through open-air preaching, one-to-one conversations, distributing thousands of gospel tracts. And this was one of the conversations I had during that particular trip. It is with a man named Stuart, Stuart was then at the time, again, this is five years ago, Stuart was then 67 years old, a Vietnam vet, and dying of cancer. So as I uh, air this podcast, I don't know whether or not Stuart is even still alive. I don't know whether or not Stuart uh, passed away and faced the wrath of Almighty God or was welcomed into his joy because... God had saved him through faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know. Uh, My hope is, of course, that God saved Stuart and that he is with him in glory if he is no longer still walking on the earth. And if he is, if he is uh, still fighting the cancer or uh, the Lord has allowed him to be cured of that disease, uh, my hope is that he is walking with the Lord and not walking in his own pride. Uh, It was a really good conversation. Um, We spent some 40 minutes together, as you will see. And then we're going to spend a good amount of time in the Chalk Talk following. Uh, There are nine or ten different things that I'd like to talk about that came out of the conversation. So uh, I hope you are encouraged by the conversation. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be encouraged every time you hear the gospel. If you stumbled upon the podcast and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, I hope the gospel you hear in this conversation will bring you to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. So hang in there. Um, Look, this uh, conversation took place in a very busy area. Uh, There were outdoor, uh, there was an outdoor market there. There's open air preaching going on. There is a lot of background noise, but if you listen... (laughs) And you don't have to hold your ear to the computer or to your phone. But if you listen, you will be able to hear the entire conversation. But just picture, if you will, standing out there in this cacophony of sound, uh, trying to have a 40-minute gospel conversation with a person you met just moments uh, before. So so with the background noise uh, and all of that going on, I hope you will find this to be an encouraging conversation. And uh, then uh, stick around 
for the Chalk Talk, uh, I have some things I want to share with you that I hope will be edifying to you. So uh, here's my conversation with Stuart. And with that, let's go fishing. Have a good day, sir. Well, we're from various churches from the States, and we're with our friend Wes here, who attends a very good church called Grace Life London, up in the uh, Angel area. Okay, okay. And you think you can be good at life at the same time. Why don't you call other people good when they're wrong? Because you know, you know better. You know who gets wrong. But you don't see yourself when you do what's wrong. And you think it's so big Without being funny. Sure. Um, Whereabouts in the States you from? I'm from California. Whereabouts? Uh, just north of Los Angeles. Okay, I was in um, I, I was in Cal for a while. Yeah. Um, Haywood, okay. California. Further up, further near north. Near Oakland. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> where Whoopi Goldberg came from. Uh huh. And, um, San Jose. Spent a lot of time in San Jose. Yeah, I have some friends up there. Um, Santa, well, Santa Cruz, actually. Mm -hmm. um, Very interesting area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Texas. Uh, my, my grandfather was a Baptist minister in this country. Really? But I was raised in Australia, hence uh -huh. the twang. <laughs> um, two and a half years ago, I offered a friend of mine one of my kidneys. Because he was going through a bad, bad stage. Well, that's very kind of you. And uh, they found I had cancer. Right? I'm sorry. No, it's not your fault. Well, I know it's not my fault, but I mean, no, you're, no, no, no. you're my fellow human being. I feel for you. Um, How are you? I mean, what is there a prognosis? Is... No, I'm pretty actually. You know, I'm wearing a bag. And... Um, they usually put a Eurostomy bag on the on the right hand side, but because I'm a guitar player. Ah. Uh, um, if you hold that for a second. Sure. Um, I'm a pretty open person. I only talk out of my mouth. I don't talk out my. <laughs> God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, sister. Thank you so much. It's not easy. Well, the Lord didn't promise easy. <laughs> Thank you for the encouragement. Thank you. Amen. We should we should talk to as many people as we can as long as we have breath. Amen. Amen. Would you like some gospel tracks to hand out as you go about your day? I am from California. Don is from Virginia. Bobby is from uh, Georgia. And Mike is from New York. Wow. Over here, you hardly find people in the Can I just tell you, Mr. Have a listen to it. Hold it, hold it. The intro is a bit long, but. It's getting there. Starts now. Overlook righteousness and let you into heaven. We must be payment for sin. 
Patrick's bank. Okay. Okay. All right, the song in about 12 minutes, I suppose. But since I got diagnosed with the C word, it's like my whole aspect has changed. Hmm. Well, let me ask you first of all, do you believe the Bible and, is true? And okay, I've just gone into this, um, and I've just gone into this, um, I don't know if you want to call it redemption or not, but if if I um, mistreated you or disrespected you, I will phone you up and say I apologise for what I did. Mm -hmm. Because I want to clear the decks, man. Mm -hmm. You know, like a ship coming into Cook Hall. Sure. I yeah, I understand you know, what you're saying. Okay. The scrub yeah. the decks. Facing our mortality will make us think that way. Yeah. Uh, my name's Tony, by the way. My name's Stuart. Stuart, good to meet you. I know some people in Nashville that, that, are, that are from a church and they keep inviting me over. But, you know, I can't travel. I'm constantly having medical appointments and scans. Um, they removed my bladder. They, they removed my prostate. There was secondary cancer in my prostate. It had permeated through the wall of my bladder from the inside to the outside through the muscle. <laughs> it's now on, a, on two of my vertebrae, and they're trying to get rid of that. There's times when <laughs> I can be sitting in my flat on my own, because I'm, I'm on my own, and I can see the sharks coming up through the floorboards. And if I open the curtains at any time during the day or night, I can see vultures sitting on the lampshade, lamppost outside my... That's the psychological thing going on. Mm. You know, and it's just like... You know... Can I ask you a question, sir? Do you know if your sins are forgiven? Do you know if your sins are forgiven? I know you're trying to clear your debt. Yeah, but, but if your debt cleared before Bible, God, if a man has killed another man, he does not go to heaven. That's not true, sir. But that's what I not thought true. it said. No, I was sir. in Vietnam when I was 18. I'm sorry? I was in Vietnam when I was 18. Thank you for serving. Thank you for serving. <laughs> and I'm 67 now. And well, 67 in September, you know, and uh, you know, you get told that I'm, I sit there and talk to a doctor, and they can we go. Move, can we move away from the sound a little bit? And I sit there and talk to a doctor, and and um, here's your phone, by the way. So no, no one walk away with that. <laughs> I mean, I sit there and. and uh, you know, I try to, I try to analyse why people do the things they do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like even today, sitting down at a place, wanting to have a quiet cup of coffee, and you're dealing with, with just from people. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it'd be like me seeing you and you telling me the same thing over and over and over again. Not regarding Christianity or the Bible or whatever, but just in general. You know, you're telling me today what you told me last week and what you mm -hmm. told me the week before and what you told me the week before or, and you're sitting there cuddling people and and then you then you're disrespecting them because you're you're when they walk away there's two people going, I don't really like her. Or two guys going, oh, I don't like him much. But you 
He's smoking his cigarettes and drinking his coffee. <laughs> Hypocrisy is what you're referring yeah, to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, I mean, look what happened in Georgia yesterday. Uh, yeah, uh, South Carolina, actually, South, yeah. with, with the people being murdered yeah, in the yeah, church. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, looking for some white kid 20 years yeah. old. Uh, and that's only going to spark yeah. the racial tension sure. again. Sure, And is that why the people do it? Is that why they do it? Well, until we find this young man, if he's captured alive or if he doesn't take the coward's way out and kill himself, we're not going to know why he did well, it. Look at the people, look at the guys who did the marathon. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's just, just hate. It's, it's hatred. It's hatred for God and hatred for your fellow human being. I, I just thought it said in the, in the, in the, in the scriptures that if, if one had taken another man's life, you know, I mean, you know, you, we can be on the battlefield... I mean, we're, we're, we're supposed to be celebrating the mass extermination of thousands of men. Oh, I don't think anyone should be celebrating that. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think, I don't think no, any... At Waterloo today, this is the, the anniversary of, of, of the Battle of Waterloo. Right. You know. They're, yeah. <coughs> are they, are and, they and celebrating it, it or are they just remembering it? Well, in a, in a way, there's, there's reenactments going on yeah. and stuff like that. And I'm sure some people use anything as an excuse to make a little money and to throw a party. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. I mean, you know, they, they say Napoleon was French, but he wasn't. He was from Corsica. Right. Originally, he was yeah. Corsica. Yeah. You know, it, 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 but it's like, you know, um, you know, you hear things on the news and so-and-so was killed, was unlawfully killed. Well, of course it's unlawful, mm -hmm. but if you're in, if you're in, if you're a soldier and you're in battle... Then it's not an unlawful killing, yeah. but technically, I agree with you. It still on, is. I agree with you on that. I, I was a um, in California. I was a deputy sheriff. I was a law enforcement officer for twenty years. Okay. Had to pull my gun more times than I can count. It's not Vietnam. I'll give you that immediately. But I mean, I've I've had to make that decision. I've had to pull the trigger. You know, I've had to make that life and death well, decision. I mean, you, I mean, I. I when so, I was in California, I walked down the street and I was looking for a thrift shop, what we call charity shops here. Sure, yeah, we call them thrift shops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I was, I was going to a thrift shop uh -huh. and I walked down the street and I was... I play country music, that's what I play, and I was dressed like I, I was from West Texas. Uh -huh. I'm walking down the street, there's one dude on a veranda, came out of the charity shop. As I'm walking back, there was, there was like maybe... 50, 60, and they're all Mexicans, and they're all gangbangers. Yeah. And if I hadn't have had an Australian accent, I would have been. Right, yeah. But, you know, if I had have had a Californian or a Texas or an American accent, yeah. but because I had an Australian accent, well, g'day, guys, how are you? You know, like. Took them by surprise. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, a guy said to me, said to me, well, you just say to them, no juegas con este hombre, pagarás con la vida. <laughs> you, you, know, you know what I mean? But, well, um, you know, but when, when you get, when you get told, when you get told about the, about the, the C word and, and, you know, and your attitude to life changes, the guy that, yeah. what hurts me the most is the guy that I offered my kidney to. Yeah. As soon as I explained to him that, um, well, he had a, he had a conversation with the doctor who said, um, Stuart, me can't donate. Um, 
he said to me then one day, oh, they've, they've said that you can't donate. And I said, yes, mate, I've got cancer. And he looked at me like I was stupid. And there's people here that expect me to be... War- there's people I know. I mean, I've got numbers on my phone like you wouldn't believe. But mm. does, has anybody come forth and said to me, do you, you know, the grass is getting long, Stuart, do you want me to run the mower over your lawn? Over your lawn? No. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But they'll ring me if they want something. Yeah. My neighbours, I've said to all of my neighbours, give me a knock occasionally. I live in a, in a, in a, in a, in a place where there's three other flats, one opposite me and one uh-huh. above, and one above the one that's opposite. Do you live here in Barking? Yeah, yeah. well, near um, Lodge Avenue. Okay. Um, and none of my neighbours will just go, oh, we haven't seen Stuart for a while, give me a knock. Yeah. You know, my curtains are drawn. That's discouraging. Yeah, but I mean, I've only come out today because I've had to come out. Um, I had to have some radio this morning and, and I thought, oh, well, I might as well get this. I've had that on lay-by in the mm-hmm. shop, so I thought, well, I might as well get that out. might inspire me to play a bit, blah, blah, blah. But mm. it's just... Um, I'm sort of... It's not like I'm in limbo. I believe... But I'm too proud to fall on my knees and say those magic words. I understand. I understand. (coughs) The the thing... The thing in my life is that everybody that I've ever loved has me. Pardon me, French. But they've me. They've emotionally hurt me or they've physically hurt me. So if you said to me, (coughs) I can give you somebody in your life who can love you like you've never been loved before, that's going to immediately put up a barrier for me to go, when's the pain going to come then? Yeah. I understand. But here's something to realize, Stuart. God is not like a man. Although every human being in the world, including me, and we just met... Although every human being in the world can let you down, because yeah, but, yeah, but there's got to be a reason why I why I walked up to you and you know not why? walked up. I, to I I know why, and I'm not a mind reader or anything. I, I I don't have any mysterious powers, but I know why, because God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. And for no, but I could have walked up to one of the other guys. But why did I walk up to you? I don't know the mind of the Lord. What I know is He's in control of what's happening right now. There's a reason, a good reason, known to Him. Well, maybe that this is the I reason that I came into Barking Maybe today, so, maybe so, maybe so. There's nothing special about me. But, but Stuart, though every man let you down because they are sinners like you and me, God's incapable of doing that because he's perfect. No, it's just that fear of rejection. I understand, I know, I understand. Well, here, you know what? The, I've done some bad well, let, let me tell you this. Let, let me tell you. Here, here, let me let me grab let me grab my Bible here real quick. I want to read something to you. What what you just what you just said, Stuart? What you just said is um, is almost identical to what happened in the life of David, the king. David, remember the story of David yeah, and Bathsheba. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right? David sees, David sees, he's, David's being lazy, first number, first sin, 
Kings are at the time were supposed to go out to battle with their valiant men. David decided to stay home from the battle and take it easy. He's up on his terrace. He sees a beautiful woman, Bathsheba. He lusts after her, sin number two. He, he sends for her, she comes. He has sex with her, sin number three. Sends her back, she becomes pregnant. And then he conspires in his mind not to make things right, but to continue to hide the crimes, sin number four. His army comes back, one of his, one of his most trusted and respected warriors and friends, a man named Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. He has so much honor, he won't even sleep in the camp. He sleeps, at, he sleeps at the door of the king's palace. And the king gets him drunk, sin number five, and says, hey, go have relations with your wife. Sin number six, trying to cover up his sin. Uriah has too much honor. He said, the rest of your army is sleeping in the camp. Who am I to go and have relations with my wife? I'm staying with the rest of the unit, right? A good, a good soldier. So David then, David then writes a death warrant for the commanding officer, for Uriah. Put Uriah in the center of the hottest part of battle, and when the attack gets hot, pull away from Uriah. Okay. He gives that to Uriah, his own death sentence, to take to the commanding officer. Commanding officer reads the note, he obeys. The army is in full-on attack. They pull away from Uriah, and he's killed. So we've been out here today, we've David, been talking about the, the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Then David, then Nathan comes to David, Nathan comes to David, and he basically calls him out on all of these sins. And then David writes Psalm 51. This is, this is a prayer of repentance. It's the most, most beautiful prayer, I think, in the Bible. This is David writing. It says here, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in the truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressor your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. And I'm here to tell you, my friend, that there is no sin that you have ever committed in your life that God 
is not able and willing to forgive. But you must come to God on His terms. God has provided one way for us to receive forgiveness. And it's not by working off our debt. And it's not by going to church on Sunday and living a hypocritical life Monday through Saturday. God has provided one way. And it was through the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man, without sin. He lived a perfect life, Stuart, that you and I could not possibly live. And then He voluntarily went to the cross. He suffered and died horrific death he did not deserve to take upon himself the punishment he yeah, rightly deserved. He was scourged as well and a he lot was. of people, lot of people don't understand what scourging was but I mean he was... So the Bible says he could barely be recognized as human. But I mean he was he was beaten with with, with chains. nine tails. With, with yeah. chains and... Bone and glass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And chicken's feet and all and, sorts of things. And, and then, and then and a just, cross, a cross of thorns pounded on his head with, with sticks. And he went to that cross, Stuart, so that sinners like you and me can be forgiven. If we'll have, you, have you got a piece of paper that you can write down my email address? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure. In fact, you know what? I'll just I'll just write it right here in my Bible. Now, and I'm going to email you so you'll have my email address. I'm going to email you tonight. But Stuart, I, I, can't, I can't leave you just yet. Because again, there's a, reason, there's a reason the Lord has allowed us to meet. And, and I could hear the hurt in your voice. I could hear the brokenness in your voice. I don't presume for a second to know your heart. And I don't presume for a second to understand all you've been through in your life. I would never want to insult you that way. I can't say this. I honor your service to your country. And I, I had no choice in the matter. Well, I honor you anyway, no, no, no. right? Right. There are plenty of men in my country that fled to Canada to not do their share, right? Yeah. So, I, so I honor you and respect you for your service, and I love you as a fellow human being. Thank and, you. And, I, and Stuart, I'm here to tell you that you can be forgiven, my friend, if you will, if you will, turn from your sin and put your trust in Christ. Now, how, how long are you guys here for? Well. Um, my friend, um, my friend Wes in the dark sunglasses talking to the, the shorter lady yep, right on the yep, other side of the pole, yep, yep. right there. Yep. Yeah, Wes lives here, he, and he goes to a church called Grace Life London, which is, which is close, very close to here, uh, and not too far from here. And, uh, and of course, he's here permanently. Um, he, lives, he lives here, uh, he lives just uh, in a flat just on the other side of this big building, apparently. Okay. And I'm going to introduce you if that's okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my friends and I, we're here until uh, we're here until Monday. Okay. But but Stuart, you said something so profound and so true. You said that you know that you need to bend your knee, and that you're not willing to do that. I've got a I've got a sister that speaks in tongues. <coughs> she went to a church with a friend of hers. And somebody said, from, from, from this acorn, um, a great oak will, give, will grow. Um, she's strong. She doesn't go to church specifically, but she's very, 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 um, I would say, religious. Some could say overly, but she's my sister. Um, she doesn't look at me as the man I am. She thinks of me as, as, the, as the small boy. 
who was always her little brother. Yeah. So you've got this protection thing going on. Yeah. I went through a bad divorce in Australia. Um, didn't know I was English until we're going through paperwork of my mother's. And then it came out that, oh my God, we're English. And I thought, I know where I'm gonna go. I know where I can leave all this behind. And I came back to the UK in 91. Um, you know, fought with the Australians, was never naturalised. Then you question, well, how did I, how did I end up getting called up if I was never naturalised? And you know, if I wasn't a true because bureaucracy is run by fallible people. No, no, no. But you've just got these questions sure. that start to come up. Oh, sure. You know, my my, fa my father, my father was abusive. My father was a strong man. My father could look at a clock on a clock tower, and it would fall off the wall. The clock. Mm. My 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 father. Then, 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 growing up, realizing that my father was an Edwardian child. What does that mean? Well, he, he grew up in the, in um, when when King in, in, Edward oh. was in reign. Oh, so he's in the line of royalty. Is that what you no, said? No, no, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, he he grew up during that generation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, got yeah. it. Got it. Where children were seen and not heard, so he he'd, he'd uh -huh. been brought up with that culture. Um, and he passed it along. Yeah, I mean, if, if you climbed up the lamppost and you fell down, well, my father would hit you for climbing the lamppost in the first place. Because if you hadn't have climbed it, you would never have fallen off it. That's the way Dad was. Yeah. But he was also abusive. God is not. But I didn't know that that was... Stuart. ...abnormal, because he was my dad. Stuart. God is not an abusive father. No, I'm just in a bad I know. I understand. I understand. God is not an abusive father. He's a loving father that loves so much that he allowed his one and only son to die on the cross for wretched sinners like you and me. But I mean, if you want to introduce me to the other guy... I will. I will in a moment. I will in a moment. And then... You know, because I don't, I don't want to pray here, or I don't I'm, wanna, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not asking that of you, Stuart. You know, there's a couple of people over the road that are looking over and going, "Oh, sit Stuart over there." Okay. Oh, well, I, look, I'm not here to embarrass no, you. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that either. But, but Stuart, you know, you, I mean? know, you know more than, you know more than anyone else I'll talk to probably during my time in London that life is a vapor, that it's here today and gone tomorrow. Well, I, I believe we're all made of stardust if that's what we want to believe. Or Well, we're not. We're created, no, 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 in, no, we're no, created no, in the no. image of God. Yeah, but I mean, if God made the heaven and the earth and the planets, then, you know, then yeah. to me, we've got particles of stardust in us anyway. The important thing, though, Stuart, is that you get right with God. God is opposed to the proud. I don't, I don't look at the but sky as being blue. Because no, I, I, know, I know it ain't blue. <laughs> it's not blue. <laughs> no, it's black. It's the same well, right. colour yeah. it is at night. Yeah. Right, exactly. And we'll be, we should be seeing stars now, but the right. stars we're seeing because of the sun, aren't there anymore. Right, but they're there. Yeah, but they're not there now. Right, well, we don't see them now. And you know, that's interesting, and that's how God is. We don't see God now. We don't see him face to face, A color, but he's here. has no colour in, in the ground yeah. because you need ultraviolet light to assume colour. Mm. You know, and there's, there's lots of little things that I think about and think, oh, you know, like... Here's what, Stuart, here's where you need to direct your thoughts. God is opposed to the proud. He's at war with the proud. He's at war with the one who will not bow the knee, but he gives grace to the humble. 
a broken and contrite heart, I don't, I don't, he will not despise. I don't sleep Stuart. at night because I'm too scared that if I'm if <coughs> if it come if if death comes for me because I don't know if death comes for me, yeah. I don't want to I don't want to be there with my eyes shut. <coughs> I don't want to fall on my knees and say, "Oh God, help me," because I've got cancer. That's pride. No, you, I don't want to say that. No, I know. I don't want to. Say I know. That. It's even pride not to want to say it because I'm, I'm Stuart. As your friend, I'm here telling you the way of escape. I'm here telling you the way but to is, make to make it, all your fear go away. But isn't it better for me to be to be a survivor of the cancer? And no. then walk up to the mountain and say, thank you, no. God, for giving me my life. No, Stuart, because you're not promised tomorrow. You're assuming things. You're assuming facts not in, in evidence. You're assuming that God's going to give you tomorrow to do that instead of calling you to judgment today. Okay. That's why the Bible says now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. And you have to come to him on his terms. The Bible says every knee will bow on earth and in heaven and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The vast majority of those people though will do so on their way to hell because they would not bow the knee and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Yeah, but that's a bit like a car plumbing, plummeting down a mountain and the driver's going, oh God, help me. Because Have you heard of the story of the thief on the cross? When Jesus was crucified, Stuart, when Jesus was crucified, there were two criminals crucified one, one, on either one, side of yeah, him. Yeah, one accepted and one, one rejected. Yeah, what yeah. a lot of people don't realize, if you read all of the Gospels and harmonize them, both of those men, while they hung there dying on their crosses, reviled and cursed Jesus. Even the one who would say, remember me this day in paradise. And Jesus said, Jesus said, today, this day you will be with me in paradise. But here's the thing though, Stuart, you don't know when that moment's coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And no, Stuart, it would not be better for you to beat the cancer and go to God on your terms. It would be better for you to die of cancer having already come to God on His terms by putting your trust and your faith in Him. Because God doesn't promise you a cure for cancer. His promise is better. See, I've, His I've, promise is forgiveness of sin and eternal life. I, I can sit down with a piece of paper and... and, and and, and write things that say, um, try now to understand him, that man cast out of time. You ridicule, discriminate, condoning him his crime. Some class this man Barabbas. His death you all decreed. But justice in his wisdom rewards him with the key. Eight years passed, awaiting now, his mark upon the scroll. He's been a model prisoner, sure he'll get parole. But justice which condemned him once, again answers no. That was mistake. For now, you make all men his hidden foe. And that, that was that was about a guy that I know that's, that's serving a life sentence in Australia. Mm -hmm. You know, he was ridiculed. He was per he, he was persecuted. You know, he was my mate. Turn to Christ and live, Stuart. Not not simply a physical life. Turn to Christ and live forever, as his beloved child, a child he will never abuse. A child he will never forsake. It's a just, child he will never cast out. It's just as I've as I said to you previously. You know, you've got I've got that love thing going on. I, I can I can talk to I can talk to a woman, and and she can say, 
I think I love you, Stu. And I start backing away because, oh, okay, when's, when's, as I said to you before, when's the pain coming? When's the pain coming? When's the pain coming? Stuart, with pain's got to come. Stuart, because I've always, I've always, I've always accepted love as being painful. Stuart, here's, here's My the good. My father punished me. He said, I'm news. doing this because I love you. Stuart, here's the good news. Can you understand? Yes. Yes. And your earthly father. So there's this huge your abyss earthly father that I'm standing in front of. Stuart, I can't step over it. How long is it going to take me to walk around it? You can't. You can't. It's an eternal. It's so an I'm eternal saying difference. all the right things, but I just haven't well, got. No. I haven't just. Here. I just haven't got the. Put my foot on the line and go. Okay. Stuart, you're waiting for the pain to come. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus took all the pain upon himself when he died a death he did not deserve on the cross. He died that death. He took all of that pain onto himself so that those who turn from their sin and come to him will experience no pain in that relationship ever again. Trust Christ. It's just that fear of rejection thing. Do you know what I mean? I'm telling you the truth, Stuart. No, no, no. But do you know what I'm saying? Can yeah. you see what I'm saying yeah. as well? Yeah, you have to get over it. Because that fear will leave you in a condemned state bound for hell. You need to turn to Christ by faith. And the Bible says that God has not given his people a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. If you turn to Christ, my friend, your sins will be forgiven, and you won't have to fear closing your eyes at night. You, don't want to, you won't have to ever fear again going to sleep. And you won't ever have to fear rejection but the, it, from Him. Even in the song that I wrote to you, it, it says, I am blessed, I'm at rest. My heart is unburdened and pure. I will walk, I will talk as I lift up my eyes to see the Lord. And, so it's, it's, it's and inside. Said, and Jesus said. It's inside. And Jesus said. It's something stopping me from yeah, going. Yeah. Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You need to give up on Stuart and give your life to Christ. I was, I was, I was 18 and I'm walking, to, I'm, we were walking through a, a field and there were 16 of us. Three of us came out of the rice paddy at 18. Guys taken away with bot in body bags. You know, guys that I know that have got no arms and legs. And I just look at myself and go, why me? Why am I the survivor? I should have taken their pain. I, I know that feeling. I've had, I had to, I had to as, when I was serving as a deputy sheriff, I had to bury more than 10 of my comrades who were killed in the line of duty. Not, just... not the same circumstances, but I under, but Stuart, I understand survival guilt. I understand that feeling of why did why was I not the one who went through the door? Why was I the one who wasn't on that traffic stop? Why did he die? Why am I still allowed to live? And you know what God has taught me in that? That God is sovereign. That he doesn't owe any of us any explanations. And that he is completely trustworthy and good. No matter what you've experienced at the hands of people, whether your father or your ex-wife or a friend on the street, God is not like unto a man that he can sin. But I'm becoming intolerant of people. I'm just sick and tired of, 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 of the daily that, you, that, you, that you're subjected to even if you come out.
and you know and and you know what Stuart when when God causes a person to be born again when he saves a person he takes a heart of stone takes their heart of stone and he gives them a heart of flesh they begin to love the things that God loves they begin to hate the things that God hates I mean, I would, he changes a person from the inside out. And, would, the, and the changes you are looking for in your life, Stuart, will only come when you put your trust and faith in Christ I was on, I was alone. On the, I was on the train coming from Osterley, which is Piccadilly line. Uh -huh. Then I was going to get off at Barron's Court and get the district line to here. And um, I, was on, I got on the, the train. I just bought an, an electroacoustic guitar. And nice dog, Japanese Akita. Oh yeah, I had oh, that's one, beautiful. I had one of them, but I gave him up after I had my operation. I couldn't, oh. couldn't take him for walks or anything. Um, but I was on this train, and this woman's suitcase fell over. So I picked it up, picked it back up. She smiled at me. Um, her husband said something. I caught the I caught the Nashville twang. Um, was talking to him, said to him out of the blue, you know, if you want to send me an email, you know, because I'd love to go to Nashville and I, I, I write country music, so maybe, you know, I can send you some of my recordings and maybe you can give me an evaluation as an American mm -hmm. against the country music that I'm, I'm writing, uh, blah, blah, blah. Turns out that he was, uh, he knew Charlie Daniels. No. Charlie Daniels goes to his church. Wow, small world. I spoke to them, and they were in a bad place. They'd gone to he and his wife had gone to Romania to adopt a baby, and then the hit the fan last year. Yeah. And they had to get a flight out. The only flight they could get out was to London, and I was the only person that spoke to them. That sort of said, "G'day, yeah. how are you? No, it's all right, darling. I'll just stand it up for you. A suitcase." So there was a reason that I was on that train too. Yeah. You know, and he said the same thing, and I've tried to say the same thing to him. I used to, I used to, you, you could, you could have, you could have um, a guitar hanging up on the wall that had strings on it. It may not be in tune. I could have a guitar on the wall that has no strings on it and you could walk in and look at my look at the guitar and go oh it's got no strings on it yeah but it's still a guitar mm -hmm. and we where yours may be out of tune with a bit of love and and a bit of affection and a bit of tweaking maybe you can return that to its its former state of glory, if that's the way you want to look at it. The guitar is in perfect harmony within itself. And it's just... I know what I want. It's just that... It's just that little step that... Well, maybe this will, maybe this will help. Because I've, because, suffered, here's, because I've suffered rejection. Here's how Because God, I've loved and I've lost nearly everything I've loved. Stuart, here's how God sees your guitar utterly shattered into a million pieces. You don't simply need a tune-up. You need to be completely restored. And the only way that happens is if the guitar maker puts you back together. The guitar 
does not help in rebuilding the guitar. The one who made the guitar is good if he smashes it into a million pieces or puts it up on a shelf for the world to see. Because of your sin, just like because of my sin, your guitar is in a billion pieces. Okay, and the, in, in, in a roundabout way, how bad it was, was it for you to take that first step? It was a, How hard was it? No, yeah, no, 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 no. Very, no. Very, I didn't from want shoulder to shoulder, I man didn't, to man. I didn't want to, because I wanted to keep being God. I didn't want to, because I didn't want to submit to any authority but my own. I didn't want to, because I loved my sin. I didn't want to. I'm not in that state of mind of, well, of loving my sin. Well, Stuart, as your friend, until you repent and believe in the gospel, that's exactly where you are. Yeah, but I, I can I can wake up in the morning and sit on one of my armchairs and. And cry like a four-year-old baby. I understand that. Because of all the I understand. But there's a, there's a difference between a worldly sorrow and genuine repentance that leads to faith in Christ. You need to come to terms with the reality that, like David did, that you have sinned against God. That you have broken His law. Regardless of the circumstances of your life, you have broken His law and His wrath abides upon you. But if you turn to him by faith, if you bow this knee that you're unwilling to bow, and you humble yourself before him, he will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, a heart that is broken before God, he will never, ever turn away. That's the promise of God. And that guitar that's in a billion pieces, it'll play more beautiful than it's ever played before because it's been built by its maker. Jesus Christ the Lord. Turn to Christ and live, my friend. He is your only hope. Come to the end of yourself and turn to Christ and live. I understand what you're saying. I, I, understand I appreciate your time. I understand what you're saying. I appreciate your time. But if you can introduce me to the... I will. Yes. I'll, I will. Uh, let's go find him. Do you, do you know where... Um, oh, he, he's right over here. conversation with Stuart, what did you think? Uh, did that encourage you? Was the gospel presentation clear? Did you hear anything in the conversation that maybe you haven't heard before? Any new tools for your own evangelistic uh, tool belt, so to speak? Uh, was there anything that I might have said that left you scratching your head? Did I misspeak in some way? Is there something I could have done better? Uh, whatever it might be, I'd love to hear from you. Streetfishingpodcast at gmail.com. Streetfishingpodcast at gmail.com. That uh, conversation with Stuart, one now that I've listened to a few times in preparation for this podcast, uh, brought back a lot of memories. I made several trips uh, to England um, to engage in open-air preaching, street evangelism. Went there with some of my dearest friends on this particular trip. I was there with Bobby McCreary, wonderful street evangelist in his own right, and uh, a couple of other brothers. We met up with uh, local evangelists there in England. It was a wonderful time of ministry and fellowship. We were there for oh, at least two weeks, maybe more. And uh, that conversation with Stuart and hearing my brothers preach in the background, man, just flooded my heart and my mind with, uh, with memories. Um, not the least of which was the memory of having this conversation with Stuart. 
Again, Stuart, a 67-year-old Vietnam vet dying of cancer. And he approached me. I didn't approach him on the street. I was standing there listening to the preaching when Stuart walked up and engaged me in conversation. That's one of the important things to remember, friends, about open-air preaching, is that while the primary purpose of open-air preaching is to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to the masses on the streets in the open air, uh, open-air preaching serves other purposes as well. One purpose is to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ, to encourage Christians to engage in evangelism. Now, the, probably the hardest part of the audio to hear was very early on. It was within the first few minutes. Uh, while I was talking to Stuart, he, was, uh, he paused, wanted to play a song for me on his phone. And as he was manipulating his phone, a young man seemed to be... Uh, Indian uh, in descent. Uh, there is a strong Indian population in that particular part of England and uh, was very encouraged by the open-air preaching, was encouraged that we were out doing evangelism, was encouraged that Americans would come all the way over to London uh, to engage in uh, street ministry like that. And so a uh, secondary purpose of open-air preaching is to edify the body of Christ. Uh, another important uh, aspect of open-air preaching uh, is the fact that open-air preaching causes conversations. Uh, people will stop and talk to one another about what they're hearing, and they will stop to talk to the evangelists who are present. If not the open-air preacher himself, other people who might be with the open-air preacher, uh, people from his church or, or members of his team, uh, will engage people in conversation. Open-air preaching is a wonderful tool to initiate conversations. And that's what happened with Stuart. Stuart heard the proclamation of the gospel in the open air. Uh, he saw me standing there, could tell I was part of the team, and came up and engaged me in conversation. Now, one of the things I want to point out in my conversation with Stuart, and this is not to mock Stuart in any way, it's not a slight upon Stuart, it is simply a reality that Stuart served as an example of something that's true about most people. People love to talk about their favorite subject, and that is themselves. Uh, Stuart pretty much started the conversation by letting me know that he offered uh, a friend his kidney. And it was going through that process, the testing to see if he would in fact be a match for a kidney donation, that uh, that it was discovered that he had cancer. Uh, I learned a lot about Stuart, uh, most of which was simply volunteered to me by him. Uh, took very little inquiry on my part, very few questions, I think, I asked of him. Uh, but he offered a great deal of information to me. I learned that his grandfather was a Baptist preacher in England, that he was uh, from Australia, that he was a guitar player, uh, an aspiring country singer. He wants to go to Nashville to record uh, his music. I learned that he was a Vietnam vet. Um, I would learn later in the conversation, and we'll talk more about it in a bit, that he was in a horrific firefight in Vietnam, one that uh, no doubt left some very deep scars and wounds on him, not, not only physical, uh, but emotional. 
as well. And so people do love to talk about themselves, not always in a sense of uh, being braggadocious, you know, of just wanting to brag about themselves, but wanting to pour out their hearts, wanting to uh, talk to people about what's on their heart and what's on their mind. If you listen closely to the conversation, you could tell that Stuart was a lonely man. He was dying. And it seemed like, for the most part, he was dying alone. Um, you, If you'll remember, he mentioned that you know he has three other uh, people that live around him. He is in a, lives in a flat, and that's the British term for an apartment, basically. And in that particular building, there are three or four other apartments. And no one has said a word to him since he's been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, many of his friends, he says, his, he told me his phone was filled with phone numbers and his phone is not ringing. He's a, a lonely person. And to see a group of Christians out there on the streets and engaged in conversation with people was part of what motivated Stuart to stop and talk to me. I was going to be a listening ear. At least that was his hope. And I think that proved to be true. And, you know, I, I think I've mentioned this before. You know, God has given us two ears and one mouth for a reason. If you are going to engage in any form of public evangelism, if you're going to put yourself out there on the streets to talk to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you need to be ready to put in the time in these conversations. You need to be ready to listen to what people have to say, to hear their stories. Now, look, that's a phrase that makes me cringe because Big Eva, modern day American evangelicalism, boy, that's big. Hey, we got to listen to people's stories. Well, what makes me cringe about that is that that's all they want you to do is listen to people's stories, to be a listening ear. Well, at some point, we have to open our mouth. Uh, the gospel is not listening to people's stories. The gospel is telling people the story of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so it's not enough to simply be a listening ear. But we should be willing to take the time to listen to people's stories. And I'm telling you, my friends, as it, it proved here in my conversation with Stuart and is so often the case, if I will take time to listen to people, if I will take time to listen to their stories and truly listen, not just be buying my, biding my time uh, waiting for my next opportunity to speak, but actually listening to them, it is going to help you to craft that gospel conversation in such a way that you are going to be speaking directly to whatever is going on in their life. Now, again, we are not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. My ability to, quote-unquote, craft a conversation around the gospel is not the power of God for salvation. The gospel is. Um, but again, we're not out there as drones. We're not out there as robots. We are talking to real people uh, with real issues, real lives, uh, real situations. And we ought to be willing to listen so that we can... Uh, communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, not just in a general way, but in a very specific way, according to the needs of the moment 
of that person who is directly in front of us, in front of me, in front of you. And so take the time uh, to listen to their stories. All right. Something else uh, that came to mind as I listened to my conversation with Stuart is that the prospect of death causes many people to consider their own mortality and raises in them something that has always been inside them, the need for forgiveness, for redemption, and for reconciliation. You know, ours is a ministry of reconciliation. I'd like to read to you from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. God's word tells us this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciled, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ours is a ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors of Christ and therefore ambassadors of reconciliation. It was obvious to me that uh, in many things that Stuart said that uh, he wanted forgiveness. He wanted redemption. He wanted reconciliation. Unfortunately, though, it seemed that he wanted that primarily with people. Uh, he wanted to be reconciled to people that he hurt over the years. And while that is laudable, uh, that's certainly a good thing. Um, I think Stuart also recognized uh, that he needed to be reconciled to God. And that became apparent during the conversation. But there was something that was in the way. Uh, and uh, that was Stuart's pride. And we'll talk more about that uh, in a couple of minutes uh, as well. Uh, people, another thing uh, that came to mind is that people often use metaphors and analogies to describe aspects of their own lives. And when they do that, be listening closely to what they're saying because they're often going to um, describe unbiblical ways of thinking uh, in their analogies. And uh, Stuart did that in the analogies that he used. There was a, a few that he used, a few metaphors, a few analogies that he used to describe aspects of his life and things that he was looking for. And so we should listen closely when people use metaphors that way so that we can use their own analogies, their own metaphors uh, to communicate biblical truths in the right way. Here are three that I heard from Stuart. Early on, he mentioned clearing the deck. It is a naval term, a nautical term, uh, meaning to you know polish the brass, uh, clean, uh, clean the deck, to clean the ship, to ready the ship, to set sail. And he wanted to clear the deck with people. 
And I asked him, he said, but are your decks clear with God? You know, are, have you reconciled to God? Have you cleared the deck with God? Uh, later in the conversation, he talked about, you know, uh, someone making a profession of faith late in life, and he painted the picture of a car plumbing, plummeting over a cliff, uh, rolling down a hill, and the person crying out to God, God help me. And so you know, he saw that as a bad thing, uh, and I used that to paint the picture of the thief on the cross, and how even in his last moments, even after reviling Jesus Christ while on the cross, that thief on the cross came to repentance and faith and was promised eternal life by Jesus himself. And then toward the very end of the conversation, uh, Stuart, being a guitar player, uh, wanted to paint a picture of a guitar hanging on a wall with no strings and how the guitar simply needed strings and needed to be tuned up uh, to be of good use. And I used that to uh, talk about the guitar maker, who, as the one who made the guitar, had the right, had the authority, as the maker and owner of the guitar, to either smash it to bits or to uh, put that guitar back together and fully restore that guitar and put it on the wall as a display for all to see. And I uh, let Stuart know that, uh, you know, his guitar, so to speak, uh, didn't simply need a tune-up but it needed to be completely restored. And in his case, uh, that restoration, that reconciliation, that regeneration would only happen through faith in Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And then uh, when we come back, uh, I want to talk about uh, something really important, something I've learned over the years, something I didn't always do right, uh, something I probably could have done better, in my conversation with Stuart, and that was how I treated his military service. We'll be back with more of Street Fishing Podcast in just a moment. back. Let's uh, continue with our chalk talk uh, regarding my conversation with Stuart. Uh, something I did with Stuart a couple of times that I now don't do so quickly is thanking him for his military service. In fact, uh, in, toward the end of the conversation, I believe I, I said I, I honored him for his military service. Now, you may, you may hear me say that, and, and you may immediately balk, and you say, what do you mean you did something wrong by thanking him for his service? Uh, saying that I, I erred in doing that is not at all to say that I don't appreciate uh, those who serve in the military, that those who, who enter into military service with a true desire to, to protect and serve, to defend our country against its enemies, both foreign and domestic, uh, I do appreciate that service. Uh, they are part of Romans 13. They bear not the sword for nothing. And uh, so we should have a general appreciation for the military. But I used to thank every military person I ever saw. 
you know, thank the, thank them for the service. I would hand them a thank you tract. Um, not that uh, not that it's not a good idea to hand those tracts out. Certainly, I want to put the gospel into the hands of as many people as possible. Um, but what I've learned over the years is that uh, I shouldn't just arbitrarily thank someone for their service in the military, not knowing what kind of service they're providing, uh, not knowing what kind of person I'm thanking uh, for that service. Also, I've learned to consider whether or not the person I'm thanking wants to be thanked for their service. Uh, I read a, a recent poll that 49% of those uh, military uh, personnel, both active and, and former or retired, 49% uh, of them said that they were uncomfortable being thanked for their service. Now, granted, many of them said that they were uncomfortable simply because they didn't know how. Uh, how to respond. Uh, but there are those uh, you know, military veterans who were involved in horrific combat, who had to do things that they didn't want to do, and maybe some doing things that they uh, didn't think they should have done, or knew that they shouldn't have done, and uh, thus they're uncomfortable being thanked uh, for their service. And so now I'm very careful now about how I go about doing that, if I say those words at all. Um, here's some reasons, other reasons, though, to consider uh, whether or not to just arbitrarily thank somebody for their military service. Well, remember, pride comes before destruction. And uh, there are many uh, military personnel uh, present and past uh, including professing Christians. I know some professing Christians who take great pride, a sinful level of pride, uh, in, their, uh, in their military service. And so arbitrarily thanking someone for their service could just simply add to that, to that simple, sinful pride. And we know that pride comes before destruction. Um, you know, a reason, again, not to thank someone for their military services they may not be proud of their service, as I mentioned before. They, uh, they may look back at their time in the military not in a positive way. Uh, maybe they were engaged in activities that, uh, both on and off duty that they knew they, they shouldn't have been. Um, something else, another reason, you know, maybe not to arbitrarily thank someone for their military service is that they may have dishonored God in their service, either an unlawful killing or committing other crimes, or forms of debauchery while they were um, on or off duty. They may not have been uh, a good soldier, you know, so to speak. And so those are some reasons to, uh, to maybe think again about whether or not to thank someone uh, for their service. Uh, many combat veterans believe that any taking of human life is sinful and even unforgivable. Uh, Stuart was struggling with that. And while it's not true in a, in a general sense, uh, after all, the Bible describes uh, many different forms of killing, many different forms of taking human life, self-defense, uh, defense of another. Uh, we 
We see that both in the military and in law, enf in law enforcement. The accidental killing of another person. Uh, judicial punishment. And in combat, in a just war situation, um, fighting a combatant could lead to, and often does, leads to the loss of life. Um, what matters in all of those instances is the condition of the heart of the person taking the life at the time that that life is being taken. Now, I'm not speaking about murder. Murder is the premeditated taking of a human life with malice, uh, malice aforethought. So, in even in a, a self-defense situation, or a just war setting, or um, or a justified use of deadly force setting, uh, even though the the killing in a general sense isn't in and of itself a, a, a sin per se, the act could still be sinful if the heart of the person committing the act is not right before God in the taking of that life. If you're harboring any kind of bitterness or resentment in your heart, if you have hatred for uh, that person, if, if your desire is for them to be dead in that sense, um, you very well could be committing murder in your heart, even in a justifiable killing situation. And so with all of that to consider, I, I'm very careful now not to simply absolve a person for the taking of a life in either a combat setting or in a justifiable shooting setting, uh, say in a law enforcement context. Uh, for many years, you know, I taught that, look, uh, the taking of a human life uh, is justifiable in these circumstances. Therefore, it's not sin. Therefore, you shouldn't feel guilty about it. But I, I wasn't necessarily considering the heart of the person uh, in that matter. And it's not for me to absolve anyone of, of any wrongdoing. Uh, certainly not. Uh, it's not for me to absolve someone for the taking of a life. Look, Stuart... Stewart describes this horrific scene where, where he and 15 other soldiers walk into a rice paddy and, and only him and two others walk out. Uh, that was uh, sadly a common story uh, where, you know, we lost, you know, so many, so many soldiers in Vietnam. Uh, and, uh, and so certainly while that story is unique to Stuart, and uh, certainly don't want to take anything away from the pain that, that he experienced in that particular horrific incident. That is something that happened often in that war and something that hop happens often in war. And But at the same time, I, I'm not the one to absolve him of any sense of wrongdoing. He knows uh, as he was engaged in a firefight, he knows as he was engaged in warfare, uh, what was going on in his heart and his mind at the time? Did he enjoy killing those people? Uh, did he do it with malice aforethought? Did he did he do it with a with a uh, a sinful sense of premeditation, not in the sense of planning a battle, but in the sense of 
I'm going to go out there and I'm going to kill these people and I'm looking forward to it and killing is fun and, uh, you know, looking at it like a sport, looking at it like you're hunting big game. Was that his mindset when he was on the field of battle? I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on in his heart or his mind. And so it's not for me to absolve anybody of any sense of wrongdoing uh, because they had to take life in in the heat of battle or they or they took life in, in uh, uh, while protecting and serving in uh, in law enforcement. Instead, I explained to people like Stuart, I explained to them what murder is. Murder is the premeditated taking of a human life with malice aforethought. I explained to them what God sees murder as. Uh, murder is hatred of the heart. Uh, if we hate another brother, uh, we are a murderer, the Word of God says. And so I explained that to them. Uh, I explained to them what murder is in a legal sense. I explained to them what murder is in a biblical sense. I try to explain to them what murder is uh, according to the heart, uh, as God sees the human heart. And then I leave it to them to determine whether or not uh, the acts in which they engaged, whether in wartime or um, in uh, serving in law enforcement, whether or not those acts were murderous. And then I, I explained to them that uh, even if, as they consider that themselves, they determined that what they were engaged in was in fact murder in the eyes of God and therefore sin, that there is yet forgiveness to be found in Jesus Christ. So I hope it makes sense. And I know this is a segment that could uh, potentially get me into some trouble with people. So I want to make sure that I'm, I'm being clear. Uh, I am not saying that all forms of human killing are by default murderous and therefore sinful. Uh, I'm not saying that. And that would include... Um, that would include aspects of combat, that would include aspects of law enforcement service, that would include, you know, things like uh, self-defense and defending another person's life, uh, judicial setting, you know, judicial punishment, the death penalty, you know, things of that nature. The fact that a human being takes another human being's life isn't by default a sinful act of murder. I'm not saying that at all. But at the same time, even in those situations uh, in which we can say, well, this is not murder, this was self-defense, or this was not murder, this was a law enforcement or military action, or, or this was not murder because I was the executioner in a, a death penalty case, well, I can't just arbitrarily absolve the person of all wrongdoing in that. Because I don't know the state of that person's heart at the time where they were take, when they were taking that life. And so while I don't arbitrarily judge someone uh, as a murderer for something that uh, may not be murder, I also do not arbitrarily absolve someone of murder uh, simply because the activity they were involved in isn't necessarily by definition murderous. Uh, it ultimately comes down to an issue of the heart. Again, I explain what murder is. Um, I explain what God says about 
hatred uh, in the heart and how he sees that as murder. I ask the person in front of me to consider for themselves what they were engaged in and whether or not it was indeed uh, a sinful act. And then I don't leave them there. I let them know that even if they did engage in the wrongful taking of a human life, a sinful taking of a human life, there is still forgiveness for them in Jesus Christ. Now, in my conversation with Stuart, uh, we didn't get to that. Um, I had another conversation with, uh, with a military vet, Vietnam vet, I think he was, in England, where I, where I did do that, where I basically absolved him uh, of wrongdoing simply because he was in the army and was involved in combat. And, and I shouldn't have done that. I should not have just arbitrarily absolved him uh, of wrongdoing in an effort to give him hope. Um, so I hope that makes sense. And again, while my conversation with Stuart didn't go that far, uh, there were aspects of that conversation surrounding his military activity where I think I was too quick to honor him for his service or too quick to thank him, uh, thank him for his service. So just, you know, something to, uh, something to consider when you're engaging both military and law enforcement in uh, spiritual conversations. All right, we're going to take another quick break because uh, that, uh, I spent a more time than I thought I was going to on that. We're going to take another quick break, and when we uh, get back, I want to share with you a word to fathers and uh, the fact that every theological error doesn't need to be corrected and a couple of other topics uh, as we chalk talk this conversation with Stuart. All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back as we continue this extended chalk talk on my conversation with Stuart. Uh, again, this conversation took place five years ago in Barking, England, while I was there with some other uh, street evangelists on a couple of week uh, trip there to communicate the gospel to the people on the streets of England throughout the London area. Uh, I mentioned I want to share a brief word to fathers. Uh, Stuart's father was abusive at least according to Stuart. And uh, there were times as he talked about his father uh, that there were tears in his eyes. Here he is, a 67-year-old man. His own father is probably long gone by then. Maybe not, but could be. But he certainly spoke of his father in the past tense, and there was still a great deal of pain in this 67-year-old man uh, as he thought of himself as a boy in relationship to his father. And he said, he put it in an interesting way. Uh, he said, you know, my father could stare at a clock and make the clock fall off the wall, basically. Uh, so hard was his stare. And, uh, you know, if you climbed a pole and fell down and hurt yourself, he, he would hit you for climbing the pole in the first place, uh, which led to you hurting yourself. So, um, and who knows how else, you know, whether verbally or physically, Stuart was abused by his, by his father. 
Now, granted, most of the men listening to this podcast, most of them are probably Christian men, wouldn't dream of abusing uh, their children. But I think it's important for us to remember um, that how your children see you, Dad, is, for better or for worse, how your children will see and picture and even imagine God to be. This was true in my own life. Um, I had a good relationship with my dad growing up. My dad passed away in uh, 1999 at the young age of of 60 after a, a short battle with cancer. He abused his body physically with uh, food and, and cigarettes all his life. He was a three to four pack a day smoker from the age of 12 uh, until at least up until the time he got sick. And uh, so my dad... Uh, in God's providence, was not destined for a long life. But, uh, you know, I I loved my dad. Uh, My dad was my best friend growing up. Um, Up until about the age of 15, uh, my dad was the smartest man on the planet. Uh, At about that time, uh, I became the smartest man on the planet at the age of 15, as maybe some other teenage young men do as well. And by the time I got to about 19, 20 years old, I realized that Uh, No, I wasn't the smartest man on the planet, and my dad hadn't lost his mind. I had had lost mine, (laughs) so to speak. And so I had a a good relationship with my dad. We had our ups and downs like sons and fathers do, but but I loved my dad. Uh, I don't recall a time my dad ever laid a hand on me, Um, you know, but my dad wasn't necessarily the, the most affectionate man in the world. And in my relationship with my dad, and my sisters would probably speak differently of their own relationship with our father, but in my relationship with my dad, the best way for me to get positive strokes from my dad, to get positive attention from my dad, was to be the best at something. And usually it was sports. And so, you know, if I if I threw a no-hitter, um, I would expect to get some praise from my dad. Of course, my dad would say, well, you walked to, you know, didn't give up a hit the entire game, but I walked two batters, um, you know, so uh, pitching well, hitting well, uh, you know, uh, playing well in football, whatever it might be. I knew that the better I was at sports, that uh, the more positive strokes I was going to get from my dad. Well, when I con- when I came to genuine repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, and uh, the Lord saved me in my mid-20s, early to mid-20s, I I carried some of that, uh, those feelings about my relationship with my dad, uh, into my relationship with my Father in Heaven. And uh, early in my Christian life, I believed that, you know, in order for uh, God to love me as much as I wanted God to love me, then I needed to be the best possible Christian. I can be. And of course I wasn't. <laughs> and so that was a cause for concern for me. And, you know, fortunately there were more mature uh, brothers in Christ around me at that time that, that explained to me that, look, no matter how quote unquote good a Christian you are, um, God's not going to love you any more or any less than he loves you now because God's love for you is perfect. His love is always perfect. His love isn't contingent 
upon my performance and I'm not going to get more love if I perform better and I'm not going to get less love from my Father in Heaven if I perform worse. Um, God's love for me is perfect. And so, you know, until I was taught that, I had a misunderstanding of the love of God the Father uh, because of the way I looked at the love I received from my earthly father. And so, Christian dad, it's important again to remember that how your children see you is, for better or for worse, how your children will either see, picture, or imagine God until such time as they come to re repentance and faith in Christ and they learn about the true nature of, of God's love. So, Keep that in mind as you're interacting with your kids. All right, something else. Um, you know, every theological error doesn't need to be corrected. You know, towards the end of the conversation, uh, Stuart said that, hey, you know, we all come from stardust. And now, I was quick to tell him, well, that's not true. We're created in the image of God. And he says, yeah, but God created everything. You created the stars and the stardust and, and all of that. And I could have spent time... I could have taken time there towards the end of our conversation uh, to correct that uh, error in his thinking about stardust and what have you. But it also, with that, came the potential of maybe derailing a gospel conversation. And there were bigger fish to fry in the conversation at that time than uh, Stuart's misunderstanding of uh, the application of stardust. Uh, to human beings. And so uh, when I heard that part of the conversation, it reminded me that every theological error we hear from someone, and you're going to hear a lot of them, you're, you're going to hear, um, you're going to hear a lot of theological error from unbelievers and from Christians too, but certainly from unbelievers as they create gods in their imagination to suit themselves, as they take a little bit of truth they might have heard in a church and twist that uh, over the years to develop their own traditions and their own thoughts about God. And while all of those should be corrected at some point, when you're in the midst of a, a gospel conversation, that may not be the, the time, that may not be the place to correct every finer theological point as you hear error after error after error. Remember the main thing is to communicate the law and the gospel to the person in front of you. Um, there were other things going on with Stuart, uh, other issues that, that needed to be addressed, uh, wanting to make sure that, uh, um, that uh, he's understanding the gospel, uh, first and foremost, because it is the gospel, again and always, that is the power of God for salvation. And one of those issues, uh, one of those issues that was very much prevalent in my conversation with Stuart was the issue of pride. Some people, like Stuart, know they should bow their knee to Christ. Stuart said as much more than once. And yet they dress that up. They'll dress, they'll dress up that pride. Uh, in, and the way they do that is they feign nobility, um, as I would describe it. You know, Stuart said, "Look, I, I, I know I should, I know I should bow the knee, but, but I'm, I'm not just going to bow my knee before God. I'm not just going to bow my knee. I'm not just going to come to God and 
and uh, you know, because I want my cancer healed, I think I'm going to wait until I beat this cancer and then I'll come to God, you know, as if it would be somehow more noble for him to humble himself after beating the cancer instead of humbling himself while he's suffering through cancer. All of that is just uh, window dressing uh, for pride. And pride does come before destruction. And and as you listen to that conversation with Stuart several times, you know, especially there towards the end, um, I address that issue of pride. All right. Toward the end of the conversation, again, uh, Stuart mentioned that horrific battle, uh, that horrific scar of battle. He's 18 years old, a scared kid, enters into a rice paddy with uh, 15 other uh, soldiers, and he and two other soldiers survive. And he was dealing with survivor's guilt, um, something I mentioned to him as I defined it, defined what he was dealing with, survivor's guilt, mentioned the survivor's guilt I experienced, you know, serving as a chaplain, um, you know, when I was dealing with line of duty deaths uh, or severe injuries to, uh, to deputies, you know, and I would have thoughts of survivor's guilt. Why, you know, why wasn't it me on that traffic stop? Why couldn't I have been there that day? You know, why was I off duty that day? Why, you know, and the questions really are silly because all those questions deny the sovereignty and providence of God. Um, but as Stuart was asking those why questions about that horrific battle that he experienced 50 years ago, at least 50 years ago at the time, uh, my answer to him was that God is sovereign and that God doesn't owe us any explanations. God doesn't owe Stuart any explanations as to why his friends were killed or his friends were maimed and he walked out of that rice paddy alive and in one place. Uh, but regardless of the circumstances in our life, God is good, God is trustworthy, God is sovereign, and God doesn't owe you an answer to any of your questions. All right. Um, couple of, uh, one more thing, one more thing, and then I'll let you go. Stay on target. <laughs> Persevere. Stuart tried to t change the subject many times. And, you know, while Stuart was hearing everything I was saying to him, uh, there were times when Stuart simply wasn't listening. Uh, Stuart wanted to change the subject. He wanted to move on to something else. He wanted me to hear his stories, but at times I don't think he was necessarily looking for answers. He had a worldly sorrow that brought about tears, that brought about remorse, that brought about a desire to clear the deck, so to speak. But there was no godly repentance, at least at that moment. And I think part of the way that Stuart would avoid coming to that point in his pride was that he would change the subject. He would move on. It, while Stuart was very friendly throughout the entire conversation, as you could hear, there was really nothing at all adversarial about our conversation. Um, you know, Stuart's pride uh, was such that, that he would, again, keep changing uh, the subject. He would bounce around. And it's not unlike uh, 
maybe more antagonistic people on the street where they ask you a question, you give them a biblical answer, they don't deal with the biblical answer, they move on to the next question. You know, they didn't like the answer they heard, uh, they were hoping they were going to trip you up uh, by asking you the question, but they didn't, so they go to plan B, and then the plan C, and then the plan D. While, again, my conversation with Stuart wasn't adversarial in that way at all, there was some of some aspects of our conversation that were similar in that Stuart kept trying to change the subject. Uh, when people do that, you got to stay on target. You got to persevere. You got to keep bringing the conversation back to what matters, the law and the gospel. Again, it is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And uh, you notice I didn't tell Stuart, hey, you're changing the subject. I just simply didn't let him go there. I would listen for a couple of minutes uh, at times, and then I would bring the conversation right back to what matters, to the state of his soul, to his need for forgiveness, his need to repent and believe the gospel. And I wonder where Stuart is today. I wonder where he is. I wonder if he is still alive, battling that cancer. I wonder if He's been healed. I wonder if he has died. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but life is indeed a vapor. It is uh, here today and gone tomorrow. And as I said to Stuart, I'll say to you who are listening, uh, we're not promised tomorrow. Uh, the Word of God says that now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. If you've been listening to this podcast and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, please believe the gospel you've heard today. Repent and believe that gospel. Uh, believe by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, that Jesus Christ, in fact, died for your sin and that he forever defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave. Believe that in your heart. Confess that with your mouth. Turn to Christ and live while God has given you time. And uh, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you're listening today, there are countless numbers of stewards out there in the world right now. Uh, on the streets, uh, maybe at your workplace, maybe on your campus, maybe sitting at the next table in Starbucks, maybe sitting across from you from your dining, in, at your dining room table. Uh, don't hesitate. Communicate the gospel to them. Love them more than you love yourself. Risk everything, including that relationship that you might hold so dear. And communicate the gospel to those who need to hear it. Call them to repent and believe the gospel while God has given them time. All right. Hey, I, I'm very grateful if you stayed with me for the entire podcast. I, I know this was another long one, but I think it was... Uh, worth the time. I hope it was to you. And uh, I hope you were encouraged. And again, let me hear from you. Tell me what you think. Uh, surely there was something I said today that you didn't agree with. <laughs> or maybe not. Uh, but either way, email me at streetfishingpodcast at gmail.com, streetfishingpodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, dear friends, let's go fishing. <laughs>
We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Street Fishing Podcast. The Street Fishing Podcast and Tony Miano's daily street evangelism efforts are ministries of Grace Fellowship Church in Davenport, Iowa. Grace Fellowship is a Reformed Baptist church that subscribes to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Visit the church's website at gracefellowshipqc.com. That's gracefellowshipqc.com. And for more information about Tony Miano's street evangelism ministry, including books, articles, videos, and audios, visit crossencountersmen.com. That's crossencountersmin.com. Until next time, and until the nets are full, let's go fishing.